All right, if you love Jesus, say amen. amen. If you love the Word of God, say amen. I can't wait uh, to look at 1 John chapter 2 with you today. I invite you to open your Bibles as we, we're going to read 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be reading verse 15 through verse 17. I'm going to continue this series that I started a few weeks ago entitled Assured. And uh, a few weeks ago I told you that basically this, this series is about assurance of salvation, but it's also just about generally uh, God giving us assurance in just a lot of different ways. And I have gone through the book of John, I have identified 19 assurances, basically 19 distinguishing characteristics of what a true believer is and, uh, and how when we see these characteristics inside of us, um, that it gives us assurance that God is with us. And uh, so uh, today I want to begin by sharing with you uh, this distinguishing characteristic, this one distinguishing characteristic that we're going to look at today, and you're going to see it kind of as a golden thread that's going to run through this sermon. Uh, there's several I've shared with you in previous weeks. Uh, this one today um, is a distinguishing characteristic that we see embedded in the text today, and it is uh, an emotional detachment from the things of the world. Now listen, I don't know about you, but there's a lot about life that I really enjoy. There's a lot of things about life. There's a lot of things about being in this world that I really enjoy. I have certain things, uh, recreational things that, uh, that I love and enjoy. Uh, certainly, I, I love my family. I love where I live. I love my church. I love Cookville. Um, there's a lot of things about life. Um, I mean, for some of you, you might say, you know, I really like golf or I really like camping and all these different things. Some of you love your job, and you say, man, I just can't wait uh, to get up and go to work. And, uh, but uh, for, uh, for, for the most part, as Christians, we have to, in a very unique way, in a very spiritual way, we have to have an emotional detachment from the things of the world. Now, I will say, I struggled with that word emotional. I think, I think it needs a little, bit of, a little bit of clarification, but I think as we move through the text and we see what John says about love and not loving the world, I think it will make sense. Obviously, we're not talking about a physical detachment. I mean, we're part of this world. We can't not be a part of this world unless we die. And one day, of course, we know that we will. But everything in this world is meant to stir up your affections and kind of reel you in so that you will fall in love with it and fall in love with the things of this world. And there's all types of systems that we see in the world. I don't really know a better way to put it, but the, there's, there's patterns of this world. There's systems of this world. For example, there's political systems, there are economic systems, there are relational systems, there's philosophical systems, there's corporate systems, educational systems. I mean, when you think about this world, when you look around it at, at everything in the world, there's, a, there's, there's kind of a system for everything. There's, there's, there's a mechanism as far as the way that the world works. And embedded in all of these systems is temptations and to a certain degree, a worldly evil that just wants to pull us in. And in a very mysterious way, 
all of the world's systems are simultaneously under the sovereignty of God, but also in direct control of Satan himself. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that in just a minute. Now, it's going to obviously be difficult for us to completely not be worldly at all, but that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about, today, about not being worldly and about how Christians have to avoid being worldly. Not at all to mean that we have to somehow, you know, and I know, I, I know, I know some of you, uh, some of you off-grid folks in here. You just want to go, you just want to go live out in the woods and and like disengage from everyone, unplug from everyone, grow your own food. Um, unfortunately, all these systems within the world, at some point, we're going to interact with them, and uh, we have to learn to live out our Christianity in a sinful world, but at the same time, not get pulled in, have an, an emotional detachment. And this is a, and all, even though I'm using the word emotional, I'm really talking about a spiritual characteristic to where we crave and long for something bigger than the world and all of its systems. So, uh, to that end, let's read our passage together this morning from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through verse 17. And I just want to invite you to stand with me uh, as we look at this and as we read this together. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. John tells us what we should not love, what should, what should not have our affections. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is where we get this this characteristic of, of being detached, emotionally detached from the world. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray today. God, would you open our minds and just give us wisdom today? Lord, you tell us not to love the world, but yet here we are in this world. And, and Father, we, we really need to know how to walk that fine line. God, we need to know how to enjoy life, but yet not love the world. Show us, Lord, what that means. Speak to us from your word. Help us to live lives of purity. Help us, Lord, to cherish things that are not seen. Help us to want to see you glorified. Help us with those things today and speak to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So everything in this world has, is, is battling for your affections. There's an ongoing battle for your affections. We naturally, as human beings, we're looking for someone or something to love. I mean, we're just, we're just kind of built that way. Obviously, because we've read the Bible and we have a Christian worldview, we believe that that love and that affection that, that we need and that we desire and that we crave and that we want to pour out, we believe it's reserved for God. But there's something about being in this world that just, that just vies for your affection um, at, every, uh, at, at every turn. And John, the apostle, uh, he knows a lot about love. He's famous for writing a lot of things about love. Um, uh, for example, when we get to uh, uh, 1 John chapter 
chapter 4 in the coming weeks. Uh, he's, we're going to read that phrase that you've probably quoted before, God is love. And he talks about this, this, this principle of love a lot. The Bible is extremely concerned with who and what we love. In fact, the Bible tells us what to love and what not to love. Now, that's not very acceptable in our culture. Our culture says, you know, don't judge me by who, what I, who I love or how I love or anything like that. But as Christians, the Bible clearly tells us where our affections should lie and where our affections uh, should not lie. And so we see in 1 John chapter 2, we see what I'm just going to call two loves in conflict. And by the way, uh, for those of you who are follow, who are, who go to a life group, and uh, and you if if you attended a life group at the, at the first hour, and uh, and you're following along with our text-based curriculum, I absolutely loved the title of of your life group lesson. I didn't see it until this morning. I just on Sunday mornings a lot of time I'll open up your life group material and just and just kind of and just kind of see what's in there. And uh, I love the title of your material that said a love that God hates. I thought that was really where are my life group leaders? Raise your hand if you're uh, if you're a life group. Didn't, didn't you like that? Didn't you like that title, Dale? I thought that was I thought that was really good. A love that God hates. What we see here in this passage is we we see just really what I call two loves in conflict. Now, how many of you have ever heard uh, someone stand up and say there's a difference between the different types of love in Scripture? There's there's agape love, and there's phileo love, and there's eros love. I know you've heard that. You've probably heard that a lot. And uh, if somebody wants to run to the Greek and say, oh yeah, this is this kind of love, and this is that kind of love. Well, you did, I want you to know that when the Bible says do not love the world, it uses the word agape, and when it talks about the love of the Father, it's using the word agape. Uh, I find that pretty interesting because this is really describing two very different types of of love. Uh, to have a love for the world is really more of an emotional attachment. Now, it does, I mean, you really can't talk about your emotions without talking about your heart and without talking about your soul. They're really, they're really kind of mixed in together. But the love for the world says, man, I like power, passion, possession, and position. Those are kind of the things that we see sometimes in the world that we go after. I want that, that power, passion, uh, possession, and position. And, and so this, this love of the world, a love for the world, is really more emotional, is really more of, of an attachment. It's kind of a, I guess you could say, it's kind of a natural human type of, of I love you because of what you do for me. Now that's quite different than the type of love that we see coming from God that we often call agape love. The love of the Father is a sacrificial love. It's a spiritual love. It's an eternal love. It's a love, it's a love of giving. It's a love of pouring out. Now let me, let me explain the difference between those two, okay? So, uh, it's a well-known fact that I love bacon, right? Have y'all seen those things going around on Facebook? Everyone who knows me knows that I love, and then y'all know what I'm talking about, and you feel, how many of you seen that? You know, come on now, y'all with me? I will not post that because I know that if I posted that, that nobody would put anything spiritual. Nobody would say, I know anybody who knows Scott knows that he loves Jesus. No, they would put bacon. Anybody who knows Scott knows that he loves 
bacon. It's a well-documented fact that I love bacon. Now, why do I love bacon? I love bacon because of what bacon does for me. I mean, just the smell of it sizzling, it just reaches my nostrils, and it just sends tingles up and down my spine, and the hair stands up on the back of my neck. And whenever I bite into it, it is absolutely something glorious to my taste buds. But see, here's the thing. I heard that, amen. Here's the thing. I do nothing for bacon. Bacon does everything for me. That's really an emotional, I love you because of what you do for me kind of an attachment that I have for bacon. And I don't even really think we should call it love. We, sh- we, 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 we really should. I'll get there in a minute. Now, the love I have for my children and my wife is different, right? I mean, there is a measure of pouring out, of giving, of loving, of affection, of sacrifice that goes along with the love that I have for my family. Those, to me, are really two different types of love. The love of the world says, oh man, I have an emotional attachment to you because of something that you do for me. Um, But the love of the Father says, I love you and I demonstrate that by pouring out. I, I think we should stop, and I've said this before and it's hard for me, I think we should stop using the word love to describe things like our like we like the way that bacon tastes. We should, we should stop using, say, well, I love my favorite sports team. You know, I love my favorite, you know, recreational. I, th- I, think we ought to, I think we ought to be careful of saying that we love those things. We can say we like those things, we enjoy those things, but true love, the way that the Bible describes it, really should be reserved uh, for God and for the things of God. And, that's, and, and that's, that's what John says. He says, don't love the world. Don't love the world. He says, don't love the world and don't love the things that are in the world. So we got to ask ourselves, what does he mean when he says, don't love the world? Because six times the, world, the, the word love, excuse me, the word world is used. The world referred to here, I've got a definition for you for, for world. I, I think this was pretty good. It's one that I found. It says that it is a humanistic system at odds with God and under the control of Satan. This is different than the love that we should have for each other. Um, this is also different from what the Bible uh, calls love, like God so loved the world, John three sixteen, when it says God loves the world. Um, this, is, th- th- this is talking about how God loves loves the people. But when John in John chapter 2 says world, he's not speaking about the globe. He's not speaking about the created universe. He's he's not speaking about all human people. He's speaking about like I said before, these systems of the world, the patterns of the world, the things of the world in which sin is embedded and in which Satan is in control, which and, and in which our affections are always being drawn towards them. And so what John says, John says, you cannot love the world and also love God. Now that's a pretty definitive statement. That, that he says, he says if, if, you, if you love the world, then you don't have the love of the Father. 
If you have this over-attachment to all the things in the world and all these systems in the world and you crave to kind of embed yourself in them and you find that you just have this heart attachment to all you know, the world and all the things in the world, all those sinful patterns, John says, God's Word says, hey, there's, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that if, if you can't learn as a Christian to have a detachment from the world at the same time that you're involved in the world. Because, this, listen, the systems of this world are messed up. I mean, they just are. For, I, I'll give you some example. I mean, how many of you would say, man, the, the education system in our country is just, man, it is just right where it needs to be. No, you would you would say we have some you, we, you would say we have some godly teachers, and you would say we have some you know some some really good college presidents, and we have some really good school principals, but I dare say that none of you would say oh the the system of education in our nation is just right where it needs to be. Most of us, if we were honest, we would say man there is there is almost something ungodly that we see that's weaving its way through that. If we were honest, I mean, I don't know, you tell me, those of you who are teachers, administrators, you, I mean, you tell me, you see that world. And how many of us would say, oh, our political system, oh man, it's just, it's just so godly and it's just everything that it needs to be. I don't know anybody that would say that. I, a matter of fact, I think we would say that that's probably the worst, maybe quite possibly the worst system of them all. Now, do we have Christian people that love the Lord, that are godly, that are involved in politics? Sure. And they would tell you that the system is really messed up. I mean, I could go on and on and talk about corporate systems or relational systems or any kind of system that you can imagine. These systems, listen, they're messed up. That's what human beings do. As sinful creatures, we create systems and then we mess them up and Satan takes control. And if we're not careful as Christians, we find ourselves in interacting with all these systems of the world. If we're not careful, we get pulled in, our affections get stirred up, and we begin to love all of the things that are in the world rather than loving God first. James says in James chapter 4 verse 4 he says do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or makes you an enemy of God obviously he's not talking about the globe again like John he's talking about the systems of the world the sin that is in the world and if someone exhibits a love for the world there's really only two possibilities two possibilities if someone exhibits a love for the world we're, th there's either some spiritual immaturity there. That's a possibility. We could, the Apostle Paul wrote about, wrote about this in 1 Corinthians where he says, he, he tells the church at Corinth, he says, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people, but as unspiritual, as carnal, as worldly people. He says, you're just infants in Christ. He says, all kind of division and arguing and this, that, and the other. And he said, I, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people because they were spiritually immature. They were carnal. They were worldly in that way. But the other possibility, and this is really what John is driving at in John chapter 2, is he's basically saying that if, if you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father, and it could be more than likely that you're not saved. 
Now, one of the things that I'm really glad that God's Word gives to us is it gives us kind of an explanation, an in-depth explanation of what worldliness is. Because like me, you might find yourself saying, now wait a minute, I love life. I'm like you, Pastor Scott, I love bacon. Uh, there's things in this world that I really love. I like football, or I like my job, or, or I love you know my economic situation. There's, you might say there's just a lot of things about the world that I enjoy, and I love life. And some of you might say, well, how, how do I know? How do I know when I'm in that fine line? And this is where I, I want to just give you these three avenues of worldliness that are described by John. These are really simple. I feel like that you could take most all sinfulness or any kind of sin, and you could categorize it under, uh, under one of the three or all of these three avenues of worldliness. Temptation and worldliness and the destructiveness of sin really rides on the rails of these avenues. And these things, I'm, I'm just telling you, all the systems that I have mentioned, political systems, economic systems, corporate systems, sports systems, I mean, all of these systems, if you think about it, you, if you really look closely at them, you will see the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life that is embedded in all of the systems of this world. Well, first, what, is the, what are the desires of the flesh? Some of your translations might say a lust of the flesh. Desires of the flesh are simply having and loving sinful cravings rather than Christ-likeness and holiness. Uh, that's, that's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh could be things like gluttony or, uh, or sexual sin, but it, all, it, it could also be things like um, uh, the temptation to want affirmation from people, to want to be exalted, to have recognition uh, and, and affirmation. It could also uh, be the feeling of satisfaction we get whenever someone we don't like experiences pain. Like that feeling of vengeance, like I'm so glad they got exactly what they deserve. Um, that would be a fleshly satisfaction in something uh, that God doesn't like. This certainly could describe drunkenness uh, or laziness um, or ambition out of control. Basically, the lust of the flesh, anything that makes me feel good but is displeasing to God. That's the lust of the flesh. It makes me feel good, but it displeases God. And it's finding pleasure and joy in something that God hates. That's the desires of the flesh. Think about all of the systems of this world that I have mentioned. Certainly you can see the desires of the flesh that are just intricately woven and embedded in a lot of these systems. Then there's, this, there's the desire of the eyes. This is classic coveting. I won't spend too much time here because I did a sermon on coveting just uh, maybe a month or so ago when we were looking at the Ten Commandments. But the lust of the eyes, it sees something and says, mmm, I have to have it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an uncontrolled drive to try to attain it. 
most of the things that we want, we want them because we saw them. Uh, somebody posted it on Facebook, we saw it in a magazine, or uh, we saw a TV commercial, or we're driving down the road and we see something, oh, I really wish I had that car, that boat, that RV, really wish I had that vacation home, wish my house was that big, I wish, I, mean, I wish, 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 all these things. It's that, it's that wishing, that wanting, that desiring, that craving. And it's loving all of those things that we see rather than treasuring and having faith in the things that God has promised that we can't see. You see, most of what God has promised to us, most of the blessings that God has promised to us as Christians are yet to be realized. Most notably, heaven. I mean, the Bible, the Bible says that you're going to get a new body. I mean, some of you won't be ugly anymore. It's going to be great. I mean, we're going to, we're, we're not, I mean, I, I don't really know what our new bodies are going to look like. It's a mystery. You can just go back and read 1 Corinthians. And if you're ugly, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. But it's true. We're going to get, I mean, we're going to get, we're going to get new, we're going to get new bodies. Noel might not be bald anymore. I mean, it's going to be great, right? So God's going to give us a, a, a heaven. We're going we're gonna to have a mansion and glory. We're promised all of these things. And when... I love you, Noel. I know you can handle the picking. Um, All of these things in the world that we see, that we want, that we're driven towards, if we love those more than the unseen blessings that we haven't had yet, that that, haven't been given to us yet, that's that's the desire of the eyes. And then there's there's the, 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 the pride of life. The pride of life is boasting about self rather than giving glory to God. It's saying that I'm, I'm going to take pride. Look at what I have. Look at who I am. Look at who I know. It's finding honor and worth in what I can achieve or what I have achieved or what I can achieve or, and, and, and in, in maybe the things that I own. It's finding honor and worth in those things uh, rather than upon God. And all of these things are embedded in the systems of the world. It is undeniable when you look at all of the major things out there, all of that is in the world. John says the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're right there in the midst of all of them. And it says it doesn't come from God, it comes from the world. And we see that really Satan is the one who is behind all of these worldly attractions and all of these uh, philosophies. I, I believe that we could, we could legitimately say that worldliness is satanic because it doesn't come from the Father, it comes from the world. And again, in a, in a very mysterious way, we know that God is sovereignly in control of everything, but we know that Satan is also in some type of direct control in this world. How about, how about this? I don't have time to jump in this very far. But sometimes, sometime when you have time, look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I'll put it on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. This is the original temptation that Eve faced. Can you see the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life that was embedded in that very first temptation? I mean, when she saw, oh, that was good for food, that was going to satisfy her flesh. It was going to be displeasing to God, but pleasing to her if she ate it. Oh, it was a delight to the eyes. Man, look at that. It just looks so great. 
Oh, look what it'll do for me. Oh, it's going to make me wise. Look what it's going to do for me. It's going to lift me up and exalt me to a higher place than God has already given to me, which was a place that was pretty great, by the way. She failed. You did too. When sin and temptation, because of the systems of this world, came to you, you, you failed. You've, you've fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, just like Eve, just like Adam, whenever, whenever the, the, the worldly, fleshly temptations came at us, we, we, we've all failed in some type of way. But there's one man that didn't. And if you were to look at Matthew, I believe it's Matthew chapter 4, and you were to look at the three temptations in which Satan tempted Jesus, they're almost identical to how the serpent tempted Eve. And they're almost identical to the text that we've read today from 1 John, how you and I experience temptation through all of these systems of the world. And Satan is still doing a good job at it. And the bottom line is the Bible says that we should desire eternity. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says the world is passing away. It's passing away. It's, 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 it's all going away. All these systems of the world, all the things that we feel like we cherish, all the things that we want and we desire, all the things that we think will make us feel good, all the things that we see that we think will give us security, all of the pride of life and the things that we think we can attain for ourselves and do for ourselves, the Bible says that it is all passing away. It's not worthy of our trust. It is not worthy of our affection. There is only one person that is truly worthy of our affection. And he hung on a cross for your sins and for my sins, even though we did not deserve it. And I love what the Bible says. The Bible says the world's passing away along with all of its desires. You know, all those flaws that you have, all those thoughts that you have that you shouldn't have, all those desires for, for vengeance or for drunkenness or for lust or whatever it might be. All those desires, the Bible says, one day they're going to be gone. All those things that you see out there, the lust of the eyes that you, that you want to try to go for. One day, you're going to have everything that you need. You're going to be in heaven and you're going to look around and see something beautiful and it will be your inheritance. One day, you won't have to have a pride of life you're going to be living the best life that you can possibly imagine with Jesus in eternity. And God has promised all of these things. In Colossians it says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not on things on the earth. And so I'll return where I started this message with this distinguishing characteristic of, of someone that really knows the Lord. This distinguishing characteristic, and that is an emotional detachment from the things of this world. And as you grow in Christ, that detachment becomes more and more. As you, as you come to cherish Christ, learn about Him, get to know Him better, your love for Him is going to grow. And simultaneously, your love and your emotional attachment to the world is going to diminish. For a lot of people, it really is a spiritual maturity thing. And if you know Jesus as Savior, I bet if you really get down to your core, if, if you truly know Jesus as your Savior, 
And God was to just peel back the layers of the onion in your life and take you all the way down to your core. If you really know Jesus as your Savior, what you're going to find is that He is your all in all. And that you love Him more than anyone or anything. And God has a way of somehow, a lot of times, removing these things from our life. These things that we attach ourselves to. These things that we love about this world. A lot of times God will test us and He'll take those things away to see if we really do love Him, to see if we, if we really do cherish Him. He did it to Job. You remember that? Satan, Satan said, hey God, the only reason he worships you is because you've given him all this stuff. I mean, you've given him everything that the world has to offer. God said, go ahead. And so Satan, Satan started pulling, well, <laughs> I was going to say peel, peeling back the layers of that onion slowly, but he didn't do it slowly. It was more like a Band-Aid. He just ripped off, and one day, all of it was swept away. And you know what Job did? Immediately, he fell to his knees, and he worshipped because he cherished God more than he did his family, more than he did all of the things that he owned and possessed. He cherished God more than anything. God's, God did this with, uh, with Abraham Remember what he told Abraham? He said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, that you love, and go and sacrifice him. You know what Abraham did? He didn't want to, but he was obedient. God stopped him, and he provided a substitute. Sometimes God will test you. He'll test your love. Be careful. Be careful what you love too much in this world, because if you're a Christian, God might take it away from you. The Bible says that our God is a jealous God. That he will not share his, his glory with another. He wants you to love. Listen, if you really want to keep enjoying the things in life that you, that you enjoy, you, you better be careful about loving them. You better keep them in their proper place within your heart. Or, or a jealous God will say, no, I'm, I know that you love me more than you love that. And so let's, 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 let me prove it to you. And so I'm going to take that away, and you're going to see that you didn't really love it as much as you thought, that you really love me more than everything else. You know, uh, I've often said that you've got um, to be careful, you know, the, with the whole humility thing. You know, you either humble, you'll, humble yourself or God will humble, humble you. You know, and I, I, would, I would rather humble myself rather than God humble me. It's the same way with, with this situation. You better love God first, or if you put your affection on something else, you're putting whatever that is in danger. God may take it away. Love the Lord first. Seems like that's the first and greatest commandment, isn't it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let's not love the things of the world. Let's enjoy them, but let's not cherish them. Let's love life and let's enjoy the things that God has given to us, whether they be material things or, or, or others. But... Let us not love them. Let us only love God and the things that God has told us to love. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. What do you love? I want you to ask yourself that question. What do you love? What do you love most? Do you love God more than anyone, anything? Is He your first love? In Revelation, He told the churches, He says you need to return to your first love. Do you love God more than your family? Do you love God more than your job? 
Do you love God more than all your material possessions? Oh, hear this. Do you love God more than yourself? The Bible tells us we have to love our affections. He deserves your affection. He deserves your love. You say, Pastor Scott, I'm really struggling with that. Man, there's so much in this world that I love. Ask God to help you. You can ask God to help you. You can say, Lord, I, I, I love all these things, but I want my affection to be for you. Please stir up inside of me a passion for you and for your glory. Would you ask God for that? Pray for that. Would you ask the Lord to guard you from temptation? If you work in a corporate system or a political system or an educational system or all the different systems in this world, would you ask God, for, would you ask God to protect you? Would you say, Lord, I, I just want to be wise in the way that I walk. I want to be very circumspect in the way that I operate with, within the systems of the world and among the people of the world. God, would you guard me, protect me? Would you pray that prayer? Say, Lord, help me. Help me to know that fine line between being worldly and caught up in a system and being involved in the world and loving you more than anything. Would you pray about that? Maybe you don't truly have the love of God inside of you and you need to ask Jesus to save you. Would you ask him to save you right now? Would you just call upon his name and believe in him? You spend a few moments in prayer and then Andy's going to lead us in a song.